Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we're kind of uh, 10 weeks into a prolonged series, I guess, on the first two or three chapters of Genesis. We've been talking about origins, the creation of the world, the creation of mankind, and the various ways in which creation and fall, the fall of mankind into sin, have affected the relationships that we have as human beings who were created in the image of God with the God who created us, with the world, and with the various people that we find in the world around us. So for those of you who are visiting this morning or here for the first time in the series, it'll feel a little bit like we're kind of jumping in the middle because we really are. But let's start here for this morning in terms of his deity. And by his deity, I mean the reality that the Son of God, according to his nature, is the true eternal God, the Almighty, whom we invoke, worship, and serve. That's the true nature of Christ, according to the, to the Belgic Confession. And in terms of that true nature, Jesus is, was, and always will be Lord. I want to emphasize that because there's an aspect of the Lordship of Christ that we associate with the Incarnation and with his obedience to the Father and so forth. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on in the service. But there's another aspect, and this pertains to Christ's deity, in which he always was Lord. When we read in Genesis chapter 1 that on the sixth day God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them, we were reading about the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were all involved in that work of creation. For as the Apostle John wrote, in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, of course, the Logos being Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
John goes on to write, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning, the word was not only with God, the word was himself God. And to emphasize that point, the Apostle John tells us all things were made by the word. God created all things through the word, through the power of his son who upholds and sustains all things even now. And since nothing can be self-creating, Jesus Christ himself was not created. He was and is eternal God and therefore Lord. Adam and Eve then being created in the image of God bore not only the image of the Father, but also the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having been created in the very image of God, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Sometimes I just really, really, I think it's probably the batteries here. I really hate technology, but we'll carry on here. Sometimes we hear the idea that when the serpent came to Adam and Eve and tempted them to sin, they must have been a little surprised to hear a voice speaking from one of the beasts of the field as the serpent is designated in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And without doubt, they were. What should they have done, though? when this serpent came and began to speak to them and say, has God really said you cannot eat from any tree of the garden? What should they have done? Well, at the very least, as those who had been given dominion over the beasts of the field, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way before, but Satan came to them as one of the beasts of the field. They had been given dominion over the beasts of the fields, I think they should have taken that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, by the throat. I think they should have lifted him up before the living God and brought the charge. God, this creature has been calling you a liar. This creature has been suggesting that we should be disobedient to your holy will. Now, of course, we're dealing with you know, things that did not happen, hypotheticals and so forth. But I wonder if they had been faithful to do that, to say this creature, this beast of the field, has been trying to encourage us to break covenant with you if God would have said, you know what, just throw him on the ground and stomp on his head. Because eventually the second Adam was going to do just that. He was going to crush the head of the serpent. And there's no reason why the first Adam had to give in. In short, they should have exercised the dominion that they had been given as image bearers of God. They should have recognized there is nothing at all in this world 
that stands between us and God. There is no mediating voice that we need to listen to in order to discover the truth. There's just God who has spoken and we, his people, who ought to be disobedient or ought to be obedient. Instead, man who had been formed in the image and likeness of God subjected himself willingly to sin and consequently to death and the curse, lending his ear to the word of the devil. For he transgressed the commandment of the Lord of of life which he had received, and by his sin he separated himself from God who was his true life, having corrupted his entire nature. That's from Article 14 in our Belgic Confession, and it goes on to tell us the effect that this willing subjugation of himself to sin had in the life of man. So he made himself guilty and subject to physical and spiritual death, having become wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all his ways. He lost all his excellent gifts which he had received from God, and he retained none of them except for small traces which are enough to make him inexcusable. And that's what remains of the image of God in fallen humanity. We are not animals. We are not like the animals. Unlike everything else in creation, our first parents were made in the image of God, and that is passed down to us. But at the same time, claiming to be wise, they, our first parents, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And since God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, they are without excuse. And I point this out because in our day there seems to be this tendency to speak of the image of God in people. To speak of all people as being created in the image of God, which is true, But today, some people are speaking of that as if being created in the image of God makes all people divine. And in fact, that argument has been made from time to time and is being made very frequently these days. The thing is, this would not have been true even if man had not fallen into sin. The creator-creation distinction would have remained regardless. And it's especially not true given that we did fall into sin. So the image of God is not lost in fallen humanity, it remains, but only in those small traces of God's excellent gifts that serve to leave us without excuse. As we noted a couple of weeks ago, the fall changed everything. We can't, with our sinful imaginations, project ourselves backward into the world before sin, and we cannot, with our sinful imaginations, project that world forward into ours because it changed man's relationship to God. We looked at that last week, noting that since the fall, since man brought sin into the world, we are born spiritually dead and in trespasses and sins, and it's only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be made alive. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace but also the entrance of sin into the world changed man's relationship to the entire created order. It was already true when Adam refused, as we've seen, to exercise his God-given dominion over the serpent 
and he chose instead to lend his ear to the word of the devil. It's more obviously true in God's word to Adam after his sin had been exposed. Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What a far cry from that dominion mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with the seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. Now, because of sin, the creation which had been specifically tailored, it had been made carefully, point by point, to sustain the life of man. Now, because of man's sin, that very creation has been subjected to futility and bondage to corruption, as Paul says in Romans 8. And now that creation will wear him down. It'll wear him down with injury, disease, and old age. And when all of those have taken their toll, God tells Adam, you will return to the dust from which you were made. Now understand this, this is probably not something that you've thought about in these terms, but I've already mentioned it, we need to highlight this again. When God created into man in his own image, and he entered into covenant with him, making man, Adam and Eve, chief stewards over everything that he had made, that did not elevate Adam and Eve to divine status, making them somehow equal to God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27 is talking specifically about Jesus Christ, but it quotes Psalm 8, which has a more general focus. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So when God said, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, be in charge, rule over the creation, God is not saying, that includes me. God is saying, you will do that as a steward under my authority, under my power. That seems so obvious, but it really does need to be said. And in the fall when Adam sinned, there was no sense whatsoever, none, that some legal dominion was given to Satan because of Adam's sin that would thwart the power, the sovereignty, the rule of God. The fall happened before the face of God. God saw it. It was done in plain sight to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. But when he came looking for Adam and Eve, it was the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, who came to him, who came to Adam and Eve after they had fallen. And the very fact that God is the one who justly fulfills the terms of his covenant by laying out the curse and the punishments that these people are going to receive indicates that God, and therefore the word, Jesus Christ, was still God and was still Lord even after the fall. The fall did not dethrone God 
as sovereign over the universe. It did not derail his plans. And in terms of his divine nature, Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be Lord. I believe our text was speaking to that very thing this morning when it said that he, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the Lord. That's what firstborn of all creation means. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now listen to what that's saying. We have a similar reference in John chapter 1, but here Paul is saying not merely the physical creation, because thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities are not part of that physical creation per se. Paul is saying the physical creation, the spiritual creation, even the structures. If you've been hanging around Reformed churches long enough, you'll hear the word spheres of authority that operate within the world were created by and for and through Jesus Christ. All things were created through him and for him. So we're going to be talking in the next week or two about a concept called sphere sovereignty. You will not find those words in scripture, but you'll definitely find the concept there. And all we're saying at the beginning here is Jesus Christ is Lord over all of it. He truly is the boss of you. He gets to tell you what to do, how to live your life, how to honor and glorify God, walking in holiness, walking in faith. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, you yourself, just all things, fall under the lordship of Christ and this in terms of his deity. All this because he is God over all and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. But the apostle goes on here in Colossians chapter 1 and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may have the supremacy. This is a statement now about Christ, not only in terms of his deity, but about Christ in terms of his humanity. His deity is not the firstborn from the dead. His deity didn't and could not die, but he emptied himself he took upon himself the form of a servant and he submitted himself to the death of the cross and as a human being was raised from the dead. This is parallel to 1 Corinthians 15 where the apostle Paul wrote, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam so all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Remember, all of those things were made through him, by him, and for him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from among the dead. This in his humanity. Christ, who according to his divine nature was, is, and always will be Lord, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then, having been raised from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we saw in Colossians, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent as God over all, which should be obvious to anyone who's read the scriptures, but also preeminent as that second man, the last Adam, who through obedience to the Father kept covenant with him and was raised up and made Lord of heaven and earth. Next time you hear somebody quote the Great Commission, think in those terms. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the basis on which the church goes into the world to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything, everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything in our lives, he might be preeminent. Understand then that the image of God that was so badly marred and the dominion over creation that was conceded by the first man, Adam, is restored by the second man and the last Adam, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul speaks of him in that way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. And that's especially true after God said to him, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The second man, Jesus Christ, is from heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven to this world not to sanctify this world in its fallenness. I want to be careful how I say that. I want to be sure that everybody understands. As we look around at the world today, so much is broken. So much is fallen. So much has been infected by sin. And we know that where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. But Jesus Christ didn't come into this sinful world to sanctify his people in their sin. He came into this sinful world to deliver us from our sin. He came here not to set things as they are in stone and say, well, this is all good. We're making good progress here, folks. He came to redeem. He came to reconcile. He came to restore that which was lost, fallen, and broken. He who was the Lord of heaven and earth, the eternal, almighty, sovereign Son of God, who was the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, came into this world and he lived and he died, that in being raised not only from the dead, but raised up to the right hand of the Father, he might be preeminent in all things. Adam, created in the image of God, was given dominion over all of creation. Jesus Christ, who always existed as the image of God became man, restored that image in humanity and was given that dominion back. He was made Lord of heaven and earth. What does this mean? It means that if you want to know what humankind was meant to be, if you want to know what you were meant to be, 
then don't look back into the garden with your fallen imagination and try to extrapolate forward from there. Don't try to imagine, well, Adam and Eve were kind of like this, and I think that if I was to be, you know, really bear the image of God, um, you might decide you need to run around with no clothes on or something like that, which would be bad. We can't do that. We can't work forward from the garden. And above all, don't look inside yourself. Don't look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. God forbid that we get sucked into that cult of self-acceptance and self-exaltation. In fact, Colossians 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't get caught up in this idea that we need to just affirm who we are right now and be the best version possible of ourselves. You were made for much more than that. You were made to be like Christ. You were made to bear the unbroken and unmarred image of God. Colossians chapter 2, 9 and 10, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of fallen, sinful, broken humanity through our first parents, Adam and Eve, we will bear the image of the man of heaven. We will bear the image of Christ. And if you want to know what the image of God looks like, don't look backwards, don't look in the mirror, don't look inside yourself, open your Bible and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the image of the invisible God. Same word that's used to refer to Adam. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, in culture, in nations, in every aspect of human existence, Jesus Christ died for our sin, was raised up for our justification, seated at the right hand of the God, Father to rule over all things, to be preeminent in all of those things. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll be able to see how that preeminence, that sovereignty, that rule applies in some areas of our life where our culture is saying it doesn't. In the meantime, shout for the blessed Jesus reigns.